want to, uh, as we continue, and I am coming to the near, nearing the end of this series on Israel. Uh, I'm in day seven today of our trip over there. <clears throat> and today I want to focus in on Jerusalem. Uh, I'm going to share a number of, of things just by looking at pictures before that. But first of all, I want to uh, draw your attention again to just where Jerusalem is um, in the midst, you know, Israel's up to there and then down about here, and Jerusalem is down in the south part, real close to the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is the highest point, one of the highest points in all of Israel, and the Dead Sea is one of the lowest. And so, from, you know, it says in, in Scripture in the Old Testament, it says, and they went up to Jerusalem. Well, they did. Because from almost any point in Israel, if you went to Jerusalem, you were going up. <laughs> and so it's quite high, and there's a lot of, a lot of elevation between the Dead Sea and, the, and Jerusalem. I forget now how many thousand feet below uh, sea level the Dead Sea is, but uh, it's, it's down there deep. So the next view picture is a picture of the panoramic uh, view of Jerusalem, and right in the very center, uh, you come down over the hill by the Mount of Olives, and you look down at this scene, and that just stands out from all, everything else in Israel. And, and I remember just how shocking it was to me the first time I saw that. But I can't imagine what it must be like to be a Jew and to live there, and everywhere they go, that stands out, the Muslim mosque, right where Solomon had the temple, where he built it. And, and that is the location where the Jews still believe to this day that they are going to build a temple before Jesus, before we believe that Jesus will come back, and that he will, he will go there. Um, you remember in, the, in Daniel and in Revelation, it talks about uh, the Antichrist going to the temple and desecrating the temple. And so uh, Jews believe that they will rebuild the temple right there. We don't know how that will happen or when that will happen or what will happen to the, the Muslim mosque in order for that to happen, but um, they believe that that will happen. <clears throat> Down here is the Kindran Valley. Um, or the Valley Jehoshaphat. If you went to Second Chronicles chapter 20, uh, that's where that whole battle happened. Uh, up here is is the Mount of Olives, and there's there's the bulk of uh, Old City Jerusalem and and most of New City Jerusalem. Um, the next photo is closer up, and this whole hillside. This is just a small part of the cemetery. This is the Jewish cemetery in Jerusalem, um, and um, it takes up the whole western slope and some of the southern slope uh, of the hill opposite the Temple Mount. Um, by the way, that the um, Dome of the Rock has been there under Muslim control since 692 A.D. So for 1,400 years, Muslims have controlled the section of Jerusalem where Solomon built the temple. Um, this cemetery is 3,000 years old. 
uh, from when they started. It contains over 7,000 tombs, and they have records for 150,000 people that have been buried there, identified there. Um, but no Jews were buried there between 1948 and 1967 when Jordan... Uh, uh, had control of eastern Jerusalem or western Jerusalem, and um, in 1967 was a six-day war when Israel got this land back, and so they've been uh, burying people there again. The next one is real close up, and I'm sorry to spend so much time on on the cemetery, but you know we've got a cemetery, and I came home with new ideas um, for what to do with our cemetery. <laughs> uh, you, you notice uh, we're running out of space too. They are running out of space, and and they their lot. This is a whole lot right there. Their lot is 43 inches deep and 24 inches wide, just a hair under 24 inches wide. That's what you get for a lot. And um, and anyway, they're they're. With all those tombs over there, you've got all of that. And then, according to Jewish tradition, and Zechariah chapter 14, 4, this is where the Messiah comes back, is to the mount and to the Garden of, of Olive, Olive Garden. And so, um, Jews all want to be buried in the cemetery. So from all over the world, Jews will come back to be buried in this cemetery. Now, the problem is, there's, they've run out of room. So between 2000 and 2012, you could buy one lot for $22,000. Today, that same lot will cost you $100,000 to be buried there. Now, you ask, why? Why do you want to be buried there if you're a Jew? Well, they have two reasons. First of all, because they want to be the first to see the Messiah. And Jews believe that if they are buried in that cemetery, when the Messiah comes back, they will be the first. And they are all buried with their feet facing the temple. Every one of those is, is arranged so the feet face the temple so that when they arise, they will automatically be faced, facing forward and ready to meet the Messiah. And then the other thing is, and this sounds a little bit ridiculous <laughs> to us in our Christian mindset, but they believe that every, every Jew will, be, will face the judgment. And so they want to be in Jerusalem, and they want to be buried in this cemetery because they will be the closest ones so they won't have to wait in line at the judgment. <laughs> So, apparently, we are not the only people that don't like long lines on, on the face of the earth. So, uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, now, wanna go back for just one minute there, Priscilla. You'll see all these little stones on top of these. Those, they tell us that they, they put there, and Jews believe that, that if they can put some stones on their lots, that those stones will be used in rebuilding the temple. And so every Jew dies longing for the day that temple is rebuilt as they look forward to that. Now, uh, the next one is, you can see how massive, it's a poor picture, poor image, 
but you can see how massive the cemetery is. And right down here is Absalom's temple. I'm sorry about the image there. Uh, and then the Garden of Olives is up in this area. We tracked from all the way up there, walked all the way down here, down through the valley and up to the Temple Mount. That was the day we walked, um, not the furthest, but that was the day my legs about killed me because it was all pavement all the way, hard pavement up and down. <clears throat> the next, the next photo um, is the church, the Roman Catholic Church of St. Anne's. It was built in 1135, 1138 by the Christian Crusaders. Um, it's in the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem uh, today, and it's, it's what starts the Via Della Rosa. Um, and the reason it's important is because Roman Catholics believe that it, is, it was the birthplace of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and of her mother, St. Anne. Um, <clears throat> and then the next one is of the inner sanctuary, this is probably one of the most beautiful churches I saw in all of Jerusalem. Again, I was not too impressed with the churches over there just because they had so many icons and other things. But this was absolutely just beautiful, simple, um, and choirs from all over the world loves to go, love to go here to sing because of the acoustics. Uh, just beautiful acoustics in, in it. Uh, the next one, I, I show you this. This is where the pool of Bethesda was, where Jesus healed the invalid. That is not that pool, by the way. <laughs> um, but I show you this picture mostly for you to see how they just build on top of one century on top of another. Uh, and they just keep building and building up. And so you might go in on the main floor and there might be five stories down you go to get to something that, you know, they say happened here in Jesus' day. And they just keep building up and all of that. <clears throat> the last picture um, that I want to show you this morning before I get to talking about Jerusalem. Oh, we lost somebody. Um, the, last, the last picture is of our group walking through the um, Jaffa Gate, or part of the Jaffa Gate. Uh, there's two pictures here. And um, this is in the Christian section. You can see how narrow the streets are. Psalm 122 and verse 2 says, Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And then um, the next verse, verse 3 says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. <laughs> and I thought, that is so true. Um, here's, here's a market area, and you can just see again, all the streets in, in Jerusalem, they were just this tight. Um, there was hardly room for cars or anything like that. Um, your bread, you just bought it right there. And the next photo is another market area. Um, and these, there, it was probably about eight foot wide, the street. And then all of that would go back in and they'd shut the doors and, and at night and you'd have the whole eight feet to um, ride your bicycle or walk or whatever else. But that was pretty much... Uh, Jerusalem as, as I saw it while I was there. I want to give you a history of Jerusalem this morning. And when I get done, I'm going to make some, some points for us in terms of what difference does it make. So just be bear with me and be patient. Um, I, I will look forward to getting back to 
off of this series and in my next series where I can just preach like I normally do. Um, but I, I thank God for the opportunity to do this and share this with you. Jerusalem is one of those cities that you and I just always tend to think, well, it's always bad. It's always been Jewish or it's always been Christian. Um, but you have to remember, no, it was just a pagan city that was conquered. And it was King David who was the first one to conquer um, Jerusalem. And so in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, verses 6 through 10, you have the story of how David goes and conquers the Jebusites. And, um, and then notice down here in verse 9, David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. And he built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord Almighty God was with him. And uh, so as, as you look at that, King David, it had no real religious history until King David became king. And David ruled in Jerusalem for seven or 33 years. He ruled in Hebron before that for seven years. So he was king for uh, 40 years altogether. Now here's some other Old Testament histories. First Kings chapter 2 verse 11 tells us that David was uh, king for 40 years and he was at Jerusalem for 33. David writes in Psalm 122 verse 6, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. And so he encourages us. And that's one thing that you and I can always do. We can always obey the scripture there and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, I've been intrigued since I come back. We got to go so many places just because there was a we were, we went right at a time of kind of a law. But within two weeks of us getting back here, we couldn't have gone to many of the places we went. We couldn't have gone into the West Bank. We had never got to see Nazareth, a number of other places that we went. We would have never got. Um, to see Caesarea Philippi, some of those kind of places, just because they were too far into the West Bank. And a lot of that's been shut off to tourists since uh, since we were there. And they live under that tension all the time, never knowing exactly what they can do and what they can't do. Uh, and I, you know, so I, it's, it's been a, a reminder to me to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. King Solomon was the one who built the temple. First um, Kings chapter 6. And then Rehoboam, his son becomes king. And Rehoboam was the king who, when he became king, he got bad advice. And he went to his young elders. He went to the older elders and they told him to be good to the people and to not be as strict on them as, as King Solomon had been and not to tax them as heavy and all of that. And Rehoboam went and he got bad advice. And so all the Israelites said, we are not serving you. And they fled, except for God reserved Judah and Jerusalem for Rehoboam. And as a result of that, um, you, you find it in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 32, that Rehoboam only has this tribe of Judah. And so there's the two nations now, Israel, the northern, and Judah down in the south that includes Jerusalem. One of the bad things that Solomon did was he put Asherah poles up in the city of David, right where they had the temple. 
So already one of the godly kings of the Old Testament is already leading the Israelites into idolatry. The third king of Israel. And he goes and puts Asher poles up, and God is concerned about that. And, and as you go on down, there's just more and more and more idolatry where the people do not revere God. And, and notice what the scriptures say in Second Kings chapter 21, verse 4, and 21, verse 7. It says, God put his name in Jerusalem, and that's why he, he wanted to honor David, and he put his name there. And it says he put his name also in the temple. And so when Solomon put the Asherah pole in the temple, the big offense to God was, why would you desecrate some place that is for my name, to lift up my name, and you put an Asherah pole to another god? Right there beside it. Take it into the temple. And Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah becomes a prophet about that time, and Isaiah asks the question, For God, shall I not deal with Jerusalem and her images as I dealt with Samaria and her idols? And I want to stop and just do a little preaching here just before I go on. This is a really good reminder for us. Sometimes we tend to think that just because we are someone, just because we are Christians, or just because of this or because of that, that somehow God will not judge us for our sin. He'll judge everyone else, but not us. Somehow or another, we are above and beyond all of that. And I want to stand before you today, and I want to remind you, if God will judge his holy city, the city that he loves, and lead Jerusalem into captivity because they forgot him, and walked away from him. Don't you think that he will also judge us? If we run away from God, if we don't obey him, if we ignore his teaching and his word to us, don't you think God will judge us as much as anyone else? You see, there is a brand of theology out there that says you and I, as long as we've invited Jesus into our heart, then we can go and do whatever we want. And I want to tell you, strictly speaking for the word of God, that is not truth. God does judge his people, and you and I have a responsibility to live a holy life that pleases him, and we have to be careful with that. So Isaiah says, and he warns the Israelites, Mark talked about it in Bible uh, class this morning, uh, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, how God warned the Israelites time and time again, but they wouldn't listen. And finally, in 2 Kings chapter 25 and verse 9, God used the wicked king, a wicked king, not even a good king, but a wicked king, uh, Nebuchadnezzar from Babylonia, and he comes in and he completely demolishes Jerusalem, destroys the temple, till all there is left of it is the wailing wall today. And there's just nothing Just nothing left. And this beautiful city that God had put his name in and that God loved. His favorite city on the face of the earth. And is just totally destroyed. And the people are hauled off into captivity because they sinned. And Isaiah then, after that happens, Isaiah towards the end of his life in Isaiah chapter 44 verses 28 
Isaiah prophesied that God would use Cyrus, king of per- Persia, to rebuild Jerusalem before anyone knew of Cyrus or Persia. I want you to catch that. Isaiah the prophet, he's prophesying to the Babel, to the Israelites who had gone into captivity. They are now in captivity and they're wondering, will they ever get back home? Will, there, will Jerusalem ever be rebuilt? And Isaiah does not know, Persia does not exist yet when Isaiah prophesies this. Cyrus does not exist yet when Isaiah prophesies this. He's just a kid. Nobody knows about Cyrus. Nobody's ever heard of Persia yet. But all of a sudden, the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire, they melt down. And the Persian Empire comes to force and Cyrus grows up and he becomes the king. And, and, and long before any of that happened, Isaiah prophesies and names the empire and names the king of the empire and says that king is going to rebuild Jerusalem. And he prophesies it. Friends, I want to tell you that is a word to us about trusting in the confidence of Scripture and the confidence of the Word of God. Before anyone knew anything, before history was being done, Isaiah prophesied and told it again. And here, here's the word from Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Um, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven. Now, Cyrus is not a Christian. He's not a Jew. He has nothing to do with uh, the Judeo-Christian faith. But he says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? This pagan king says the God of heaven has appointed me to go build a temple in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. He's saying, you know, I'm not one of you people, but if, it, if there's any Jews around here, you can go back and help. And we will even foot the bill. We will help build that. We'll pay for it. Whatever, but God has appointed me. I don't know this God, but I know he's appointed me to build this temple. And there you see the sovereign power of God. We look around us today and we we can just be sick at some of the things we see happening in our nation. But I want to tell you, when God gets ready to move the temple, the Dome of the Rock, he can do it like that. When God gets ready to do something in our nation... He can do it like that, and we need to be ready. We need to be people who are praying that we have confidence in that kind of a God. Because if God can move the the heart of King Cyrus so much so that he, he says that a God that he doesn't believe in has appointed him and raised him up for this purpose of of building the temple in Jerusalem. And so he sends Ezra and he sends Nehemiah back there. And then there's prophecies about the restoration of Jerusalem. Uh, up on the screen, um, the next prophecy um, is from Isaiah at the end there, Isaiah 65 and 66. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight for its people, a joy. 
and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord. And then uh, from Zechariah chapter 8 and verse 3, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Now, Jews look at that and, and they believe that, that when the Messiah comes, all of that's going to happen. We believe that that's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because we know the Messiah has already come and that when Jesus comes back, um, Jerusalem is going to be a, a, the center of his, his reign. Now, I want to spend a couple minutes talking to you about Jerusalem as a result relates to Jesus in the New Testament. Remember, it was at Jerusalem that they took Jesus to have him dedicated at the temple. And it was there that he met uh, Simeon and Anna and they blessed him. It was when they went to the temple when Jesus was 12 and left him in, in that busy, busy place with the narrow streets and all of that. They left him and they went home. They didn't know they were leaving him. And he, he stayed right there at the temple teaching at the age of 12 um, the chief priests. And it was also at Jerusalem when Jesus started his ministry that the devil led Jesus and that map of Israel the temptations took place in three different places. Jesus walked while he was fasting for 40 days a lot of miles to be tempted by the desert. And remember, he led him to the, the tip of the temple in Jerusalem up high and had him look out over Israel from the temple and said, I will give you all of this if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, no. Part, as part of the, the temptation and his success in the temptations. And then it was in Jerusalem, as Jesus was getting ready to go to Jerusalem, you remember Jesus said to his disciples in, in Luke, in any case I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. <laughs> because Jerusalem has such a reputation in killing the prophets. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Luke chapter 11, 33 through 34. And then Jesus starts to tell his disciples what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And they don't want to go to Jerusalem. They don't want him to go to Jerusalem because Jesus is already telling them that when we get there, they are going to... Um, arrest him and they're going to crucify him and, and in three days he's going to rise again but they couldn't understand or make sense out of any of that and as they went in Luke chapter 19 verse 41 it says as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city he wept over the city and then what happens in the book of Acts in the early church in Jerusalem remember Acts chapter 1 verse 4 Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jerusalem is the place where they received the spirit for the first time that empowered them for witness. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when, my, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But notice that they start there in Jerusalem and then they spread out to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and does that happen? Yeah, you go to Acts chapter 5 and, and, and the chief priests say, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name of Jesus. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. And so Jerusalem became the first central point of sharing the gospel, sharing the good news and all of that. And then after that, the consul, the first consul of the church, there's been a lot of different consuls uh, where the church met to decide doctrinal issues. But the first major one we have recorded in Acts chapter 15, the consul of Jerusalem, where the, the church had to decide what are we going to require Gentiles to do to become Christians? Do they have to obey all of the books of Moses? Do they have to regard, you know, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to do all this and that? To become a Christian. And so they decided that. And, and that was determined in, in Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 15. And then Paul goes to Jerusalem. And you remember this history of Jerusalem. Being the city that kills the prophets. Who speak God's name. And many of the prophets in the Old Testament. Died in Jerusalem. And Paul is heading to Jerusalem. And he says. I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what's going to happen to me there. And he writes that in the book of Acts. And um, his disciples and his followers are all telling him, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. We need you. The world needs you. Don't go to Jerusalem. We can go anywhere else and you can share the gospel. And Paul felt inclined. He just felt like God wanted him to go to Jerusalem. And so he went to Jerusalem. And sure enough, when he gets to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they go to the Romans and they ask the Romans, would you please kill this guy? He's just nothing but a nuisance. Get rid of him. Paul prays. And in the night, he has a dream. And in the dream, God speaks to him and he says, Take courage, Paul, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And Paul knows that he is not going to be killed in Jerusalem, but then he starts heading towards Rome to share the gospel. And that's where you come to the end of the book of Acts. And indeed, Paul dies in Rome as a martyr and they kill him there. But before he dies, he is, he is, he gives his testimony. He talks to King Agrippa and he talks to all these other people sharing the gospel. And I want to just say that one of the things that we learn from Jerusalem is that that is the place where the Spirit of God came and empowered them for witness. And they went throughout all of Jerusalem and then they spread out into the world. And that same Holy Spirit wants to take us and make us effective witnesses right here at home where our home is and then take us out. But that Spirit of God also comes in such a way that he can give us boldness and courage even in the face of martyrdom. We worry about a little peer pressure. We worry about when somebody makes fun of us because of our convictions and our beliefs. The apostles, they didn't worry about that. They were worried about losing their life. And they didn't even worry about that. They just boldly shared their faith 
and what Jesus had done for them. So, as we come to an end this morning, what can we learn and what can we do? And I want to suggest a couple of things. First of all, I want to say to every one of us, we need to be ready. Jesus is coming again. The Jews believe he's coming for the first time. We know he's already been here, but he's coming again and we need to be ready. And I want to remind you again, if God would judge his holy city and take them into captivity, he will also judge us who are believers. And just because we are people of faith and just because we've asked Jesus into our life doesn't mean that we can just keep on sinning as though grace abounds more. You and I need to live lives that are pleasing to God and we need to be ready for that. Secondly, we need to pray for this city, Jerusalem. And not only for this city, Jerusalem, because God has put, you know, God loves it and he's put his name in it, but we also need to pray for the city that you and I live in. We need to pray for McKenzie County. We need to pray for Watford City. We need to pray for this area because, you know, one of the things that I was most, um, I, I came away from our trip to Israel convinced that God loves Watford City and McKenzie County just as much as he loves Jerusalem. And that's what I just kept hearing from God while I was there. God loves. And the other pastor said the same thing. We went with all this great anticipation of being there, and it was wonderful to be there, but God loves where we live too. And we need to have that heart. We need to weep for our city. We need to cry out to God and pray for our city. And then we need to pray that God will give us a witness so that we can witness with courage and the power of the Spirit regardless of the consequences and have that boldness and the apostolic courage that the early church had. And then I want to just say to us, we need to look up because I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and it's not going to be this city, but there's one coming down from heaven that God's going to reign in. That's going to be a lot better than this city behind you on the screen. And is prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband.